0: Okay. Um, so I'm going to start with a question. Um, surprise, surprise! Yeah, he's always doing new things. Um, so we we've uh, we've gotten through. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your strength. And now we're on your mind. So. I always like when we're looking at this text, again, to be reminded of how would we define this because that's what we carry into the text. So I want you to consider how would you define the mind. So think about it and then go ahead and talk about it and then afterwards we'll revisit that together. So how would you define the mind? All right. What do you think? How would we define the mind? Thoughts. Consciousness, thoughts, thoughts, storage, units. storage unit. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay. I like that. What else? Nerve oh, come on. <laughs> Nerve synapses. Right. Yeah. I know, to know. I, don't know. I know enough to know I don't know. Like a true philosopher. Yeah. Processing. Processing. Okay. Awareness, anybody else? No, okay. Um, interestingly, this text compared to Deuteronomy, where originally it comes from, you can kind of see, from in my opinion, this is not like a scholar's opinion, but when I read this, I see the Greek influence. So you kind of move from the heart, soul, and then you see the mind added into that, which is very, I think, Grecian, Roman in nature, is this thought process. Um, I will give you the definition that is often used in this particular word for Greek. Um, So Tom will put that up for me. So usually when you see, at least in some contexts, the word mind, especially in this context, it means that which is responsible for one's thoughts and feelings, especially the seat of the faculty of reason. So thoughts, feelings, reason. So it's pretty comprehensive in the way that it was understood. the interesting thing is, is that the lawyer is saying uh, that I should love the Lord my God with all my mind. And again, that tricky word is all. So that, that effectively means all of my thoughts, all of my feelings, and all of my reason. How are you all doing with that today? <laughs> like me probably, not very good. Um, and so I, I want to kind of unlock that a little bit. and bring our thoughts, feelings, and reason into context. So I want to tell you a quick story about um, an experience I had in Peru. So before um, I moved to Peru, I did not believe that miraculous things could really happen. I had no experience with that. I really just had no context for it. I've never seen anybody get healed before. I mean, it was just, to me, I was kind of like, oh, that sounds like voodoo. I don't know. And so when we went to Peru, uh, and then God kind of expanded, I sometimes they say blew up my box because that's probably more accurate, but definitely expanded my perspective of his faithfulness and goodness. And one of the ways was seeing people healed miraculously. And one of the guys that was on my team, um, he had been uh, a part of various ministries throughout his lifetime, and had seen God do miraculous sort of healings, the stuff that you hear about, and you're like, eh, I'm going to need a medical report for that, because it just doesn't make sense. Um, he even wrote a book about it. And so as a pretty rational, reasonable person, uh, if you haven't learned, I, I love my questions by now, right? I love to know why. Like a true millennial, I love to know why. that That's the question of, of my generation is why. and. Um, I started asking because as I was expanding my faith, I started praying for people and some people would get healed and then some people wouldn't get healed. And I'm like, well, what's the rationale behind that? You know that why? Why does this person get healed but this person doesn't get healed? Why does this happen? You have those questions like why this but not that? What makes them over them? You know, like, and I'm I'm wrestling with that. And you can imagine, I got to a point where I'm up at two, three o'clock in the morning. Just, why, God? Why? Why, why, why? And so finally, um, I was brave enough to ask my friend. I went over to his house, and I was like, man, Steve, I need you to break this down for me. Because, you know, you've, you talk about God healing people all the time, and you talk about his goodness and his faithfulness, but then we pray for this person, you were there with me, and they didn't get healed. And I'm like, but I thought you had the power, you know? Like, help me rationalize this. Help me understand it. Um, I couldn't reconcile what I was seeing and what I was thinking with God's goodness. And that was the core of my question. And so finally, Steve, he he was super patient with me. Um, He was listening to all my questions. He didn't interject. He didn't interrupt me as I was. And I was starting to get more and more frustrated because I'm waiting for him to give me these answers. Tell me why. And he's just sitting there and I'm like, you know, what's going on? You're supposed you wrote a book on this, man, you know? And um, I started, he, he kind of, I'm going to paraphrase what he wrote, which is, uh, or told me, which is the first question. Um, if, Tom, you want to put that up? So as I'm talking to him, um, I started realizing that there was this disconnect between my thoughts and my feelings and my reason and who God is. And so, um, as I was reading this text, I was reminded of this story, and it says, uh, and there was this question, it was, what do you think prevents us from loving God with our mind? Free will. Okay, free will. And that's a question. Think, I mean, think about it. What, what do you think prevents us from loving God with our mind? Life. Life. Clutter. Clutter. Distractions. Distractions. Our own thoughts. I mean, and... Okay, our own thoughts. Life circumstances. Yeah. Other circumstances in life. Okay. Tangible, touchable, that kind of thing. Okay. If we start um, filtering that down, kind of getting to the root of it, uh, I'll tell you this is me personally as I was wrestling with what I did and didn't see versus the character of God. Um, These were the two questions that I had in terms of what prevents me from loving Him. Is He good? And do you trust him? I think that's, that's the core of this reason, thoughts, and feeling. Is he good? And do you trust him? I find a lot of times that it's very difficult for me to love God with all my mind if I don't think that he's good. And I find that it's very difficult for me to love God with all my mind if I don't trust him. Can you relate to that? I mean, and that seems, and that's again for me as I'm processing this text. For me, if I don't think he's good and I don't trust him, I can't tend to love him well. And if you look at other relationships, if you lack trust in a relationship, will you love them with all your mind? No, absolutely not. Um, If you think that they're against you, will you love them with all your mind? Will you think healthy thoughts about them? The, the, the core example is when you're driving in traffic. I feel like that's the number one <laughs> pastoral example, right? When you're driving and somebody cuts you off and you're like, oh, you know. Um, and so I I, I want to acknowledge something. When we talk about loving God with all our mind, there's some, some texts in scripture, there's passages in scripture that really talk a lot about this. And I think the first thing is coming to an understanding of our spiritual reality, not just the high-brow thoughts that we have, like, of course I'm a Christian, I can, I'll completely trust God, and I'll completely love him because he's good. I mean, that's just not our reality when we go through difficult times, right? Um, and so when we go through difficult times, and you can see that in the book of, of Job especially, um, I mean, the Psalms are, are Psalms of lament. There's just tons and tons of, uh, there's a book called Lamentations, in the Bible, right, which is these, these texts, these songs, and these writings of people that are inspired by God that, that let us know that it's okay to wonder with our minds if he's good, and do you trust him? But I don't think that God wants us to stop there when we talk about loving him with all our mind, and so I wanted to bring up a passage in Isaiah that you may or may not be familiar with. I'll read it to you, and you maybe already know it. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's kind of humbling, isn't it? I mean, for me, it's super humbling. I'm like, uh, so hold up. You mean to tell me that in my mind, the best version of me on my best day when I've had the, the ideal amount of sleep and the right amount of coffee and I've had all of my food and I'm not stressed out, that my best version of my mind isn't going to really understand you fully and completely. That's kind of humbling, isn't it? Um, And so then I have to, in some ways, relinquish control, don't I? I have to be able to say, um, I'm struggling if you're good, or I'm struggling if I trust you, but then again, I don't actually know the whole picture, right? That's ultimately what this text is about, and if you look at the, the book of Isaiah, that's really this thing that God's proclaiming. You don't know the whole story. And how many of us think that we know the whole story, or would like to write the story? Guilty as charged, right? You can all raise your hands, because we all do it. Um, uh, there's a, uh, a theologian, and he specifically, he's known for his commentaries on Isaiah, um, and his name is John Goldengay. And this is what he specifically says about this text, and it's just a simple statement. But he says, they need to submit themselves, this is Israel, God's people, God's chosen people, right? So put that in context. God's chosen people need to submit themselves to God's ideas about how to fulfill Whose purpose? His purpose. purpose. So you see the the, the cycle is, it's not we're going to tell as God's chosen people what this should look like. Instead, they need to submit themselves to his ideas about how to fulfill his purpose. That's kind of tricky, isn't it? But that's this essential part of loving the Lord God with all our mind. the, the willingness to submit. And I think um, maybe because of the culture that we live in, because we're, we live in the United States of America, and are we known for our submissiveness? No, we're not. We're known for quite the opposite. We're known for rebellion. I mean, that's kind of how we came about, isn't it?
1: As rebellion.
0: Um, we're known for our warfare. We're known for... Uh, everything but submissiveness. But this picture of what it means to love God with all of our mind reflects this this core piece of submitting themselves. Um, But then there's something else. After it says, submit themselves, what does it say after that? To what? God's, God's what? How do you know God's ideas? You read his word, which means that you have to spend time with him. So it's submission wrought out of relationship. So even to love God with all your mind is explicitly stating that I need to know your mind. And I'll get to that in a minute. But you're not submitting yourself to just this empty thing. You're submitting yourself to the very heart of God. And isn't that a good place to be in? It stands within reason, and you know, we're talking about reason so I can use that, that would you say the biblical text screams out that God is good? I think so. I feel 100% confident that I can say that. So when we say that God is good, and we're saying that we spend time with him, and there's this tension, right? Is God good? Is he not good? Or whatever questions that we have, should I do this or should I do that? Should I do this? Should I do that? We have all had those moments, right? Is that he invites us into not what we should do, but his heart for us. And that is the cyclical relationship. He invites us into his heart for us, and then we take that, and then we live fully into it. And then as we're walking in the tension of that, because we have expectations, then he invites us into his heart again. You you see the cycle? To fulfill whose purpose? His purpose. That's another place of tension for us. Do we want God's purpose over our purpose? I know this is, these are all, that's that question is, what prevents us from loving God with all of our mind. Um, Before I get to the ascension piece that Marlene read for us, uh, I want to read another verse from Isaiah. So this this chapter uh, in Isaiah is kind of smack dab in the middle, this this particular verse 16, is smack dab in the middle of uh, Israel just being in sin, just going their own way. And The irony, and but we can't point fingers, is the irony about Israel is even though they were God's chosen people, they were constantly doing things that didn't reflect their chosenness. And I think in many ways it's very easy for us within our Christian life to live in ways that don't reflect our chosenness, because we are chosen. We're beloved sons and daughters. And so I love this verse because in the midst of God pointing out their sin and God exposing them for who they are, he leaves them with this beautiful promise. He says, I will lead the blind by a road they do not know. By paths they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I will do, and I will not forsake them. I think um, sometimes in my life, uh, and I've, I've heard this from multiple people as well, is that when you experience this tension of my reason and my thoughts and feelings tell me one thing, but this is my reality. And, and you feel that tension. And I was particularly looking at this, this passage about, I will lead the blind by a road they do not know. Um, there was an experience that I, I had uh, also one time in Peru. Um, it was very common for people that had um, physical ailments, um, blindness, um, an inability to walk, they were in wheelchairs, to be on the side of the road, and, and they would receive you know, money from people as they would go by, or food, or that kind of thing. And in my neighborhood, there was a gentleman that would often stand by the corner. And um, I, don't, I don't know, I've seen several people that when they're standing on the corner and they went across the road, people would help them. And there's this process of them locking arms, and walking slowly together, right? You, you've seen that before. Um, but what struck me was this this gentleman. Um, Any time that somebody would come close to him and offer their help, he would push them away. And I think, in many ways, that's when I experience the tension in my life. It's very easy to be like that gentleman on on the road. I know I'm blind, and I know I can't see, and I know all the things that are dangerous and perilous around me. I mean. Realistically, he's crossing a major intersection in a highway. The guy could get hit by a car. Uh, people got, I mean, people got hit by buses all the time where we lived. And and he he would have to know that. He could hear, but he would push people away and he was trying to do it himself. And not only was he a danger to himself, but he was a danger to the people around him. Because what if somebody read, ran a red light, which was very common? You know? And so there's, again, this idea of submission. So God, in the midst of exposing Israel and for who they really are, no pretenses, no, I already know you. I know who you are. I will lead you, so you have to submit, by a road that you don't know, by paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light. Um, Just a quick... um, uh, comment about that. I was reading in one of my books for, for classes, there's, I can't remember her name, but it was a hymn, hymn writer, and she wrote over 8,000 hymns, and she was blind. And one of her most famous hymns, what, what was it? Yeah, it is. Thank you. Gold star, gold star, right? Fanny Crosby, that was right. 8,000, over 8,000 hymns, and one of her most famous hymns, she was blind, uh, was, was a portion in the song about what it would be like to see again, this darkness into light. The, so, okay, I mean, can you imagine the first time seeing? That's that picture that I see, and the rough places into level ground. These are the things I will do, and I will not forsake them, and this is an important, this is why it stuck out to me, particularly in the ascension. So Jesus, uh, because the ascension was his past Wednesday, so Jesus, he journeys with these men, Right, And it's really like they're blind. They have no idea. They're just walking, they're going about life, and suddenly Jesus says, let me show you a different way to live. I'm going to show you a different hope, a different provision. It's going to be difficult, but I will walk with you in this. I will lead the blind by a road they do not know. By paths they have not known, I will guide them. And you see that in the ministry of Jesus. Not just what the with the masses, but you see that in his interpersonal relationships constantly. What is he doing? He's eating with them, he's walking with them, he's talking with them, he's encouraging them, he's challenging them, and that's just a small portion that we see of his life. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I will do, and I will not forsake them. Can you imagine the disciples' feelings when Jesus on the cross, compared, contrasted to this statement. Do they feel like he forsake them? He was forsaking them? Absolutely. And what was the disciples' reaction? To stick around and hang out and be like, oh man, absolutely not. What was their reaction? Just to run. To flee. To even return back to the former blindness that they were once in. So when we fast-forward uh, to this text in Luke 24, we see a different response. So Jesus, uh, he leads them out as far as Bethany, so they're not close by the city. You know. And he lifts up his hands, and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. I always, when I was listening to Marlene, I just think it's funny. Like, can you imagine if I was in the middle of a blessing and I just, like, moonwalked out of here? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's effectively what happened, right? Like, he's in the middle of blessing them, and then he, was, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. Uh, I, we, had, we already know the response from verse 40, 52. But would it, isn't that kind of the definition of him leaving them again? And in an even more mystical way. Like, he kind of just disappears. I mean, at least the cross was tangible, even though they weren't there. They ran from that. But their response from the moment of the cross to the ascension is utterly different. And it says, And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. You see this stark contrast between A people that didn't really know what it meant to love God with all their mind. Maybe God has something to say about it, right? (laughs) How embarrassing. No worries, Steve. No worries at all. So the stark contrast between a people that didn't know what it meant to love God with all their mind. Remember, thoughts, feelings, and reason. Their thoughts and their feelings and the reason told them, I need to get away from here as quickly as possible. Peter, what did he do? He denied and ran. But here we see he, he effectively does the same thing. He disappears. He's away from them. Everything that they knew as safety and security is no longer there, and they worship him. And it causes them great joy. And that's striking to me. I'm going to read... Um, another text for you, because uh, I don't have it up there, but you can keep that. That's fine. Um, so one of the, the things that I think overwhelms me uh, about if God is good, I'll read this to you. It says, loving Christ is to submit to Christ. Do you, you, you following with me from the text that we read today? Really, we see that to love God, period, is to submit to him. But then, what is one of the beautiful gifts of life we receive in Christ? His mind. We submit to him, and in our submission to him, the promises is, is that we the gift we receive is his mind. And I want to give you the passage so that way you can have it, um, if you wanted to write it down. Specifically, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. Um, to put some context on this verse, uh, The whole chapter, well, the first part, and if you wanted to follow along, it's on page 927 in in the Red Bibles, Um, but the first part of the chapter is really about uh, Christ being crucified. Um, It's who he is. And then it goes into what's wisdom. So this is a wisdom passage, which is, what's the book of the, the Bible that we have that is just wrought with wisdom? Psalms, absolutely. What would be another one? Proverbs, and then there's another one. Ecclesiastes. I mean, we have wisdom books. huh? Yeah, right? We have, we have just whole chapters of the book dedicated to wisdom. And what is part of wisdom? Our minds, our thoughts, our feelings, our reason. And so uh, Paul is writing about wisdom and what true wisdom is. And he goes into some various different texts. I'll just read, starting from verse 15. Those who are unspiritual do not receive the gifts of God's Spirit, for they are foolishness to them, and they are unable to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. It's 15. Those who are, spirit- those who are spiritual discern all things, and they are themselves subject to no one else's scrutiny. 16. For those who, know- who, ha- for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct them. Does that sound like Isaiah? For, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Like, it's effectively a different way of saying the, the thoughts of God. And then here's the promise. But we have the mind of Christ. Do you all feel like you have the mind of Christ? <laughs> are you like, no, not today. <laughs> not yesterday. Or ever. Okay, thanks for the honesty, Marley. <laughs> I'll edit that out for you, right? Um, but this is a gift of life. And, and there's some text in this if we go further in. Um, what is the promise that we receive when we submit our lives to God? The very Spirit of God. And so the Spirit of God is the facilitator of us understanding the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ then propels us into a different way to think and to feel and to reason. Notes... Uh, and one of the things that um, I think that we have done a poor job of in the church, specifically, not per se House of God, but I think in general, is we tend to shy away from feelings and emotions, don't we? We're like, oh, let's not talk about how we feel about stuff. And we have our opinions, and we certainly have our thoughts, but we strip a very big part of who we are. God is a very emotional God. And he's created us to have emotions. Um, But those thoughts and feelings and even our reason is really meant to be brought into submission through the mind of Christ. So the question then becomes for us, um, how do we submit our thoughts and our feelings to God? Yeah, prayer. Have you ever asked God, what does it look like to have your mind? What does it look like to live my life through your mind, through, through your thoughts and feelings and reasons? And, and, and my embodiment, so it's not stripping me of who I am and my character, my personality, but it's saying all of who I am is in submission to you. I think a dangerous prayer, and you know I love my dangerous prayers, is to, to pray. God, what does it look like for today to be lived through your mind not my own. This is a pretty dangerous prayer, isn't it? (laughs) Because what if he says something that I don't want to hear, which is absolutely true. But I think the hope is is that a lot of times I fear, what is he going to say to me that I may not like? But instead what I see is, in a moment when Jesus is leaving the disciples, rather than them being... Worried or fearful or concerned, their natural reaction is what? Joy, worship, freedom. I mean, that's what the mind of Christ does for us. That's what submission does to us. Again, I'm not saying that it's easy, um, but it's certainly, I think, a pathway towards life. Because remember, what is the whole context of this text? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? Fast forward. Jesus said to the lawyer, and he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. And just again as an important footnote, he's not just talking about eternity. He's talking about in that moment, life. That the renewal of my mind by having the mind of Christ, that's really what the renewal of our mind is. Is those thoughts that get away from us, those feelings that get away from us, that reason that's completely unreasonable needs a renewal. And God brings that renewal into context with his mind. And how does he do it? By facilitating that work through the spirit inside of us. So um, some practical things that I think that we could potentially enter into. As I mentioned before, you could certainly... Just spend some, some time, I think uh, Janet said, scripture earlier. That's one of the ways that we can know the mind of Christ. Um, one of the other ways is prayer, asking him, what does it look like to have your mind, not my own? I, w- I would even suggest that you could start in that text in First Corinthians. What is What is wisdom? that's a helpful place to start. Um, One of the cool things about this is this is also set within the context of community. So all these things that we're talking about, loving the Lord God with all our heart, our soul, our strength, and our mind, it's all meant not just for our personal benefit, but it's for the benefit of those around us. And so um, a perfect example of that is, uh, I don't know how many times I've been on a team and there's been a bad play, or somebody made a mistake. And we all make mistakes, right? But some of the best teammates I've ever had have gone up to that person that made like the own goal in soccer, or just like a really boneheaded play in baseball, and you're like, oh my gosh, what were you doing? And the best teammates would just walk up to them and be like, hey, we've all done it. That's that helping people renew their minds. I mean, this is a little example. But it's also being in community, so as we're journeying through something, a person that's journeyed through that can help renew our minds. This is what God has said to me about this particular thing, and this is what it's going to look like in your life potentially. So I, I would say that we shouldn't absolve ourselves from community. This doesn't have to be a personal journey. To love God with our mind is supposed to be a corporate communal journey as well. is share a mind. Um, let's pray. Uh, God, we thank you um, that you give us your mind. Um, there's so much more that could be said about this, uh, but my hope is is that you've spoken personal things to each of us. Um, would you renew our minds this morning? Those things that uh, that have taken our thoughts captive, our emotions, our feelings captive, even our reason captive. I pray that you would bring a refreshment and a renewal. God, show us what it looks like to trust you. Show us what it looks like to proclaim that you are good. Uh, I think everybody in this room is going through something. Um, Maybe it's a really great season of their life, or maybe it's a really difficult season of their life. It doesn't matter, though, because we still need your mind and all of it. Uh, show us what it means to be a community. Um, I, don't, I always think of a hive mind where we can all be individuals, but we can also be so uh, about one another, um, to lift one another up, to encourage one another, um, to speak life and love over one another, um, to meet each other in whatever place we are. I think that's also a promise that you give us as part of our, this mind renewal that you give us. Um, so Lord, we pray for that now. Um, we also pray, uh, I think one of the things that keeps us, um, from, from loving you with our mind is a lack of peace. Um, this, this desire, this anxiety to do things. And so I pray, Lord, uh, for peace for all of us, as that we could not just trust you, but rest in you. As so many people have told me over the past several months to lean on you, um, So I pray that for all of us, that we would lean into you fully um, in the coming days and weeks so that our minds can be reoriented by you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.